You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. This is a reading of a collection of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled How the Spiritual World Projects into Physical Existence, The Influence of the Dead. Collected Works, Volume 150. And this is Lecture 9, given in Berlin on the 23rd of December, 1913, A Christmas Gift. It may so easily seem that the simple, loving joy that lived for such a long time in hundreds upon hundreds of hearts, when people saw such a play of the divine infant and his destiny on earth, that this joy may be diminished by our spiritual scientific philosophy with what appear to be highly complex insights, bringing in so much information about Christ Jesus, insights we must seek to gain in our philosophy of life. I am sure that every heart, every mind feels great joy, when we see such a play and can be aware again that for centuries the hearts of people in cities and in isolated rural areas, those who have gone through a degree of cultural life as well as those who have remained simple country folk, have felt strongly drawn to the divine infant. They perceived powers in him that entered into human evolution at a point in time, saving it from the death in the spirit which was considered to be inevitable due to an eternal cosmic law. Every heart, every mind must be touched when people see once again how this divine infant was venerated in the past. Yet it is only seemingly the case that more detailed and complex insight into the miracle at Bethlehem would somehow diminish this immediate warmth, this elemental feeling. I am saying that anyone who can say such a thing has only taken a superficial view of these things, for we do face a different world today from hundreds of years ago, when people did not see those Christmas plays as something remembered, but as something that was simply part of their everyday life. This complicated time of ours, with so many elements of scientific thinking, needs a different inner impulse if we are to look up again to the divine infant who brought the greatest impulse into human evolution. Our particular approach, speaking of the two Jesus children, the Solomonic and the Nathan child, only seems to be more complicated. For in the Nathan child we see that when the rest of humanity set out for life on earth, this child of all humanity, as it were, the human being remained behind in spiritual worlds before the tempter, the Luciferic principle, approached human beings. We see that this child was kept at the level of humanity's infancy, as it were, held back as humanity's spiritual childhood impulse until, quote, the days were accomplished, close quote, and was then born as an exceptional human being, the Nathan Jesus child. He came to earth as a human eye, that had not gone through previous incarnations on earth, 
but entered into earthly embodiment for the first time. As soon as he was born, he spoke to his mother in a language only she was able to understand, a language that seemed to come down from heavenly heights. We will come to realize more and more that at a time when the human being is seen in such a different light, we will need to look up to the divine infant whom we venerate as the Nathan Jesus child who remained behind at humanity's childhood level in spirit land, was born with the human qualities, those original qualities which all human beings would have had if Luciferic temptation had not taken them into earth evolution. The Nathan Jesus child entered the human race with all the qualities that humanity had before they yielded to Luciferic temptation. We need to know this today. We must know that in this Jesus child we have the childhood of the whole of humanity. We can then from the deepest depths of our soul share in the feelings of those simple people in the past. They could only feel as they saw the glorification of the divine infant in those plays what we are now able to know if we are prepared to take the road to the Spirit. Our souls are most deeply touched when, in a place such as the one we have just seen, we are aware of the infant's profound innocence, the divine innocence of a child, something which humanity had before the tempter changed this. The tempter takes the form of Lucifer and later Ahriman, whom we must consider to be the devil, in quotes, of medieval times. The contrast touches us deeply between Herod, led astray by the devil, and Herod, taken by the devil on the one hand, and the child of man, who preserved the principle of human innocence and will lead us to life eternal. Ideas like these, as they live in such a play, truly had not come from superficial feelings. They had come from the intuitive perception of the most profound secrets of the world. In medieval times, people everywhere, in towns as well as in the most desolate mountain and country regions, would recognize this, even if only vaguely. But in the past, human souls approached those secrets in a way that differs from the way in which we must come to fathom them again. The inner eye, E-Y-E, will easily turn from such a play to presentations made with all the means of truly sublime art in the 13th and 14th centuries as they arose from the fullness of Christian feeling, showing the whole secret of human evolution across the globe and the way in which the human soul relates to the eternal divine element in human nature. And today, when we are about to celebrate Holy Night in our own way, I want to turn from these plays to a magnificent presentation which holds the very ground and origin in it of what is also to be found in those simple plays. In Pisa, in western Italy, is the famous cathedral where Galilei observed the swinging lamp which made his genius discover the laws without which modern physics would be unthinkable. Next to the cathedral is the famous Campo Santo Cemetery, surrounded by high walls. There medieval artists recorded what people were thinking about, the divine secrets, 
and the connection of human beings with those secrets, with the eternal soul principle which they thought to be part of human nature. Many of those medieval secrets are depicted on the walls of the Campo Santo in Pisa. In those times, God's acre would be covered with soil which the crusaders had brought back from the tomb of Christ Jesus. Anyone who visits this cemetery today and picks up a handful of soil may well feel that under this soil lies something which the crusaders once brought with them from Palestine and spread on this God's acre which was thought to be particularly sacred. One of the paintings on the Camposanto walls is titled The Triumph of Death. It was, however, only given that name in 1705. Before that, everyone who saw it and knew it and spoke of it called it titled Purgatory. And we can be certain that there was also a heaven and a hell on those cemetery walls. This Purgatory shows in the most profound way how people of medieval times saw the secret of the human soul and its connection with the eternal in man. Much of the painting has perished today. But it is still possible to see through the damage and understand the great secrets of evolving humanity which the painter, not known to history, wanted to conjure up on the cemetery wall. We, first of all, see a procession of kings and queens coming out of something like a cave in a mountain, full of self-awareness and arrogance and of the feeling we know what it means to have this status on earth. The procession emerges from a mountain cave, and as it emerges, comes upon three coffins guarded by a hermit. So the hunting party suddenly finds itself faced with three coffins, and what lies in those coffins is characteristically different. One contains a skeleton, one a corpse, which has decomposed to the point where worms are feeding on it and the third holds someone who has died recently, having only just started to decompose. The procession comes to a halt. A hermit is sitting in front of the coffins, his gesture appearing to say, Stop, quote, stop, let this grim reminder, this memento mori, make you see what you really are as human beings, close quote. Higher up above the mountain, on another rising slope, we see three hermits, hermits who get food, and also hermits bent low over books and reflecting on the secrets of human development. The whole is arranged in such a way that one mountain forms the ceiling, as it were, up above. Above the point where the hunting party comes upon the coffins are the three hermits, who represent peace and have the power to enter into the inmost human soul there to find the connection of this human soul with the Elysian fields. As we go on looking, we see all kinds of sick people jumbled together directly behind the hunting party who have stopped at the memento mori. We also see people listening to a harp, and behind the harp a figure putting a finger to the mouth. And above it all, we see masses of angelic spirits crowding on one side and horrible images of devilish spirits on the other. The painter has used all his powers of imagination to create those devils. On the right side of the whole painting we see angels bending down to the human beings who are listening to the harp. 
Between them and the mountain, which is fire coming from its crater, we see the devils evolving. All this is really there to direct the eye, E-Y-E, to something which one might perhaps fail to note at first sight. Yet it will gradually provide insight into the most profound secrets relating to humanity. What was really meant to be shown there? Well, it is typical for the view held by medieval scholars to see the hunting party stopping at the three dead bodies, a skeleton, a corpse on which worms are feeding, and the bloated body of someone who has recently died. It is a theme often seen in medieval works. We will only understand it if we ask, why are the people coming out of a mountain? Who are the people in the hunting party? And if we know that they are not alive, they are dead people who are in Kamaloka, quote, your bodies are like this, close quote, the painting says, quote, the skeleton as your physical body, the corpse eaten by worms as your ether body, and the one belonging to someone who has just died as your astral body. Remember, you who are in life, what you are shown here of the secrets of existence after death. Close quote. This is how the secret of the three human bodies was shown in medieval times. Strange, marvelous, one would like to say. The hermit, sitting slightly elevated in front of the coffins, makes a gesture which indicates that humanity does need to penetrate into the secrets of existence so that we may realize how we are connected with the eternal wellsprings for our transitory existence. The painting then continues in such a way that above it all the mountain rises, with the hermits sitting up there in quiet contemplation and a natural world full of peace, showing us, as it were, how one can connect with the inner essence of human nature by being contemplative. This is what the painter sought to show, and not a title Triumph of Death, which is the name given to the painting at a later time, when it was no longer understood. We see how right the people were who spoke of purgatory, that is, of Kamaloka, as we call it. The painter wanted to show that when we are in life, we are not always among those who perceive the significance of life after death, and have the right attitude to the eternal principle in human nature. He showed this in people who are no longer in life, but in the life after death. For the members of the hunting party are people who are in Kamaloka. They are already dead. And on the other hand, we see how the devils and the angels take away human souls. We see the profundity with every devil having a soul in its claws and taking it away, and every angel taking a soul under its wings. But these souls differ from one another, and that is what I would wish to mention now at Christmas time. The souls taken by the devils, misshapen, justifiably so, but created with real insight, are souls that look like older people. And those taken to the Elysian fields by the angels are souls which the painter showed as children. We sense there the view, which was held throughout the Middle Ages, that there is something in human beings that must remain childlike for the whole of earth existence, with people preserving something for themselves, however old and decrepit they may grow, child nature, 
innocence of feeling, for the whole of life, and on the other hand, that there are people who grow old, not just outwardly, physically, but also mentally, because they take up earthly mentality. For it is only on earth that we grow old. People who grow old in that sense can only do so by their own fault, by something that makes them look away from the heavenly and eternal. That is why their souls look like people who have grown old. Whilst the souls of those who stay connected with the element that preserves the connection with the eternal in the spiritual world retain their childlike form. This is what is so great, so tremendous in this painting in the Camposanto in Pisa, telling us that there is something in human nature of which we must see that it reflects the eternal principle in man in the first three years of childhood, something I have tried to show in the small volume title The Spiritual Guidance of Man and Humanity. I sought to show that human beings are indeed different in the first three years of childhood from what they are later in life. In medieval times, people really felt that close link with the divine and spiritual heights which belonged to childhood. And it was shown in a work of art as magnificent as this one, perhaps the most interesting painting of earlier times, considering its composition. It was so great that people ascribed it to Giotto and various other painting painters of this time, though that is impossible, because it was painted at a later period. This painting shows most gloriously how medieval people related to the child. It is the kind of sentience we find everywhere. We see it so marvelously in these simple plays telling of the Christ child. We see it in the fact that the very legend of the Jesus child found a home in all hearts with infinite warmth, and how this legend of the child actually made people know how they are connected with the Christ impulse. People needed to be certain that the principle which will save eternity for the human soul has come with that child. Just as someone who has preserved his eternal part is taken to the Elysian fields by the angels is shown as a child in the painting. One must also imagine that with the form of the innocent infant there came into the world the one of whom we know that he united with the divine Christian impulse with the divine Christ spirit in the thirtieth year of his life. Here, I'd say, we have the connection between the heights of spiritual life in medieval times as depicted in the painting in Pisa's Camposanto and the simple plays. The plays we have been seeing here only came into existence at a later time, but all of them have the impulses in them that reflect what we are now again looking for in the tone and character of our own time. And the relationship that human souls had to the Jesus child was not just simple, which is what people are often told today. Here we have been hearing of the Nathan Jesus child, who in his twelfth year received the Zarathustra, capital I, into himself, and in his thirtieth year the Christ Spirit. And we must understand this if we are to bring to mind what had to happen in human evolution so that humanity might save the eternal principle which is part of them. In medieval times, 
people did not need all the knowledge that is presented in concepts and theories. They had the magnificent visions of the nature of the human soul, like the one in the painting we have been considering. Other times call for other ways of showing the secrets of eternity, and this has been done in different ways through the ages. Again and again it manifests that human beings may have great hopes for their souls. Before the mystery on Golgotha it was the hope that there was to come something which in a human being is spiritual and corresponds to the physical sun in our planetary system. Today we are able to know the very thing that has been so deeply felt at all times. In spring we see life, the plants, shoot and sprout from the ground and watch them grow toward summer. We turn our eyes to the sun and know the powers that make the earth fruitful come from the sun, so that the active life of shooting and sprouting plants and all kinds of creatures may arise from the soil. And apart from this, which happens in sacred order year after year, we see the regularity of the sun's progress, bringing the blessing it needs to take to every place on earth at the given hour. But also things entering into this that may be said to belong to the earth's atmosphere, gales sweeping across the fields, rain pouring from the clouds, mists spreading across the landscape. There we see something that does not follow a regular order. We may see regularity and order in anything that comes from the sun. In spring and summer we feel, as we look at nature, that the sun, victorious as it hastens across the earth, is capable of influencing the winds and weather on the earth's surface. But when autumn approaches, and when winter is coming, with the sun losing its strength and not intervening so much in earth existence, we become aware in a different way of the capricious nature of earth's own activities. Anyone who considers this alternation between spring and summer on the one hand and autumn and winter on the other in a reflective way will be able to say to himself, in spring the sun gains the victory with its sacred order over the changeable conditions which the earth's egotism brings forth from earth nature. But winter is the time when the earth produces the effects in its egotistical atmosphere, when earth nature gains the victory over the blessings that come down to earth from the cosmos. Reflecting on our inner life, thinking, feeling, and willing, we see how feeling impulses, affects, the powers of will rise up without regularity in us from waking up until going to sleep. We will feel how this capricious element in our inner life can only be compared with the way things happen in the earth's atmosphere. And the principle which governs our thinking, feeling, and willing is indeed like the earth's atmosphere. Our soul has the same powers in it, though only in embryonic form, as those that prevail in air and weather and in the elemental forces outside. These are the powers in us that govern thinking, feeling, and willing. Out there, they are elemental forces, demonic powers that live in air, water, and fire, and in the thunder and lightning, the changeable weather conditions we have in the atmosphere around us. In our thinking, feeling, and willing, we are basically 
merely related to the activities which the earth develops out of its own egotism in winter. And people have been aware of this at all times. When winter came and the earth's egotism, with its elemental forces, gained in influence, with the elemental forces now not following the sun, which they do in spring and summer, people felt that all this had a relationship with man's own inner life. Oh, winter time, people would feel, though they would not express it clearly, you are related to my own inner life. But when the deep winter night came, the time of the winter solstice, people sensed that the sun was now gaining in power again, to be able to grow and grow and grow in strength toward spring and summer. And they felt the sun's power always gains the victory over the earth's egotism. They would then feel courage and hope rising within them and were able to say, just as in the physical world the cosmic sun always gains the upper hand over the terrestrial forces of the earth, as the victorious sun always erupts into the dark winter night, if we just feel this, so there has to be something within the human being which reigns as spiritual sun in the depths of the soul. That spiritual sun will come and gain the victory, just as the year's sun gains victory in the winter solstice, and it will be the sun of the spirit in the great winter solstice to come. People first hoped and then knew that the time of the great winter solstice had come when they came to see the time of the mystery on Golgotha as the rising of the spiritual sun in the inner life of human beings. Let us now look at those early times in earth evolution, when it was the earth's spring and summer, before the mystery on Golgotha. Human beings still had that inheritance from earlier times in them, the clairvoyance that made it possible for them to have vision in the spiritual world, and they were still aware of their connection with the divine and spiritual world. Now, however, we are in earth's winter time, something we cannot deny, a time when it has truly happened that we will not only be surrounded by mechanical forces to an increasing degree, forces that take effect in machines, in industry, in the commercial sphere of earthly activities, but we also live in such a way that we no longer have the divine and spiritual world around us the way it was in the time of earth's spring and summer. But the sun's victory at the time of the winter solstice, which in the past was felt to be symbolic, is something of which we may be sentient deep down in the human soul today as the victory of the spiritual sun when we contemplate the mystery on Golgotha and the time of preparation for it, when the child was born whose birth we celebrate anew at Christmas every year. Human beings need never doubt the power of the sun as winter approaches. They may indeed hope that the joys which autumn has taken from them will come again after the deep winter's night. And in the same way, human beings may look to the events that happened in connection with the mystery on Golgotha and say to themselves, the egotism of the human winter night may prevail, unruly and without order, as the gales do in winter nights, Yet the hope will always remain that compared to the capriciousness in our own soul, the Christ impulse 
which from the mystery on Golgotha onward has been connected with all human life on earth, must win through. This is the Christ impulse, which came into earth evolution through the body of the Nathan Jesus child, and was able to come because the child of man who was born in that Nathan child, the child who had the qualities that belonged to the human soul when it had not yet gone through incarnations on earth, qualities in which the things connected with entry into incarnation on earth had not yet been implanted. That child still had the qualities of the highest of the spirit where it belongs for all eternity. I wanted to present these ideas to you so that we may see how with regard to the childhood powers of man, which are also man's powers of development, Human beings may be sentient of something most sublime, something people have always felt and shall continue to feel on beholding the Divine Infant on Holy Night. Our powers of insight must change, and in place of the things medieval minds saw in images, we must gain different ideas, the idea of the two Jesus children, the inner nature of the one moving into the other, the Christ Spirit taking possession of the Nathan Jesus child's body. But one thing remains, and that is that we can look with our most sacred feelings and our greatest hopes to the insight that tells us, from the mystery on Golgotha onward, something has lived in the development of our humanity that has entered into the aura of our earth, and we merely need to appeal to this in our joyful festivities as our hope in the imperishable nature of our essential human nature. It is just as necessary for us to be reminded of this as it was for the people who in the past took pleasure in watching those simple plays. Readers aside, uh, Steiner, uh, they had just watched the Oberrufer play, The Three Kings, and readers aside. Indeed, we may also say that we take just as much pleasure in seeing the plays we feel connected with those people of the past because we know how to appreciate in our own way what was given to humanity when the child of man entered into earth evolution. They were given the greatest hope, the greatest impulse which humanity needs so that in earth's winter time, in the time after the mystery on Golgotha, they may stay strong by beholding the sun in the physical cosmos, gaining the upper hand over earth's egotism. More and more the impulses will live in the depths of the human soul that came through the mystery on Golgotha as the spiritual sun impulse entering into human evolution on earth. The event came once in history by which this impulse entered into life on earth, but it needs to grow up again and again as it is remembered, which is what can happen with such festivals. You see, on the one hand it is true that the Christ Spirit once entered into the earth's aura through the mystery on Golgotha, and on the other hand it is true what Angelus Silesius put into such beautiful words, quote, The Christ could be born a thousand times in Bethlehem, but all in vain, lest he is born in me. Close quote. The element that was born in Bethlehem must be born deep down and ever deeper in our own soul, so that we see fulfilled for this soul of ours what medieval feeling wanted to see fulfilled 
when people saw the destiny of souls that were filled with the Christ impulse in those childlike figures which the angels took up to the Elysian fields, figures that did not fall into the claws of Araman, only souls that had connected so much with earthly life that they seemed old would do so, though it is the destiny of souls not to grow old on earth, but remain young. It is the body's destiny on earth to grow old. It is man's higher destiny to maintain a young mind in an aging body in connection with the mystery on Golgotha, and so feel ever-increasing hope that however much winter's gales may rage in the soul and temptations may live in the soul, the living trust shall never end that the element that entered into the earth's aura through the mystery on Golgotha shall rise from the depths of the soul. This is what we want to bring alive again in our souls with festivals like these. I have tried, therefore, to bring together exactly what we are able to know as the Christmas mood, seeking to bring together in these few words what we feel in relation to Christmas, taking the anthroposophical point of view and the experience people had in earlier times with the tidings of the Divine Infant when they saw a play like the one we have been performing. It may be expressed in the following words, quote, Deep down in the human soul lives the Son of the Spirit, certain of victory. Powers of the true heart and mind sense it in the winter of our inner life, sense the new shoot of hope in our heart. Son Spirit's victory is what we behold in blessed Christmas light, symbol of life most sublime in winter's deepest night. The end of Lecture 9